So let me tell you about a couple. Uh, their names are Tyler and Tara. Uh, to understand the love that Tyler has for Tara, I need to tell you about their history. They had been married for about 20 years when Tara had an affair with Paul. It was uncovered and she was confronted. And finally, she came to the conclusion that because of her children and because of her relationship with God, that she had to break off the affair with Paul. So Tyler and Tara went away to get away from everybody for about a week to Hawaii where they could just be alone. And in that place, to begin to uncover the roots that created the issues that created the affair. And to renew their love and to rekindle their feelings. For three days, they just stayed in the room and Tyler held Tara as for three days she grieved and she sobbed. They didn't even leave the room. You say, well, that's good. Well, understand though, her grieving was not because of the pain she called her, caused her family or caused Tyler. She was grieving the loss of Paul. For three days, she cried over the loss of the man that she was having the affair with. And for three days, Tyler, knowing that, held her and helped begin a process, an emotional and a volitional metamorphosis, that her feelings and her will had to change, had to be something else, something new, something better. To understand the love that Jesus has for you, for me, we need to understand our history. So Jesus was invited to go to a dinner party created by a religious leader named Simon. He came into that place of the dinner and he reclined at the table, which was the custom. The head would be near the table and the feet would angle out. And somewhere in the midst of that dinner, the poor, as was the custom, were invited to come in and ask for leftovers. And so that happened. But as one particular lady came in, they knew immediately who she was because she carried this mark, this label, and it simply said this, she was a sinful woman. That was her mark. In all of that city, this woman stood out. They knew who she was. She was a sinful woman. Many historians believe that what that really meant is that she was very sexually promiscuous. She probably was the town slut. And everybody knew that. She entered in and she stood behind Jesus. She did not ask him for food. She began to sob. And as she cried, so many tears, they dripped down upon his feet, creating little streams of water on his dusty ankles and feet. 
knowing what she was doing and seeing his feet now being watered by her tears and recognizing by his dusty feet that when he came into the room, which was the custom that a servant should wash his feet, but his feet had not been washed, she bends down and cries over his feet, and then she starts to dry his feet with her hair. And then she pulls out perfume and pours the perfume on his feet. And then she begins to kiss his feet over and over and over again. This woman who's been marked. Simon says in his brain, if he's truly a prophet, then he would know, know what kind of woman she is. And if he was a prophet, he wouldn't let her touch him. And there I want to pause the story for just a moment. because I have a confession. I think that too often I am guilty of being a Pharisee because that's what this man was. Because I sit and eat with Jesus because there's this promise in Scripture says that behold, he stands at the door and knocks and if you open the door and invite Jesus in, he will come and he will have dinner with you and have this relationship with you. And I do that. I've, I've known Jesus ever since I can remember. So I've, I've, I, I have this, this, this meal relationship with him. And I have been guilty of those moments of sitting with him when they let the sinners in. And I mark them. I can tell you who they are. And just in case Jesus' radar for sinners is not working well, I can show him who they are. And some are, are easy to mark. You know, someone like this woman, she's a bad girl. Miley's bad, I know that. I can mark her for you. Or this guy, he's a bad guy, he's a bad man. Johnny Manziel, who, by the way, is now the bad man who took the place of this other bad man. We have a picture of the other guy? Yeah, that guy. Who now, for some reason, is a good guy. But what we do is we can look at them. See, I can sit here in this place today, and we're guilty of this within this community of faith. We sit here, and we're having this, this, this feast with Jesus, this relationship with Jesus, and we'll watch people come in. And, and I've heard people say, well, yeah, um, that person over there, I don't know what they're doing here today because I just saw him drunk last night. Yeah, I, 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 know, I know him. He, he's, he's, he's been hooking up every weekend for the last month with a different girl. I, I know them. And we, and we say, well, marked, judged. Yeah, I know that. My brother Jay, many years ago when, when our kids were in elementary school, came to visit us, and so he stayed in our house, and our boys in elementary school harassed him so badly that Jay said, I will get revenge. So early morning, I took Jay to, to the airport, and I let him out of the car to go into the terminal, and he looked at me and said, oh, by the way, check on your boys. So we got back home. I got back home and I got Pam and I said, let's go check on the boys. And we walked in to their room and they're in bunk beds. And we looked at them and they'd been sleeping. It was a summer night and the windows were open and, and they, they were just sleeping in, in their, their skivvies and, and no shirt. And, and during the night, somehow, Jay had taken marker and drawn faces on their chest. 
and, and then mustaches and goatees and glasses. And, and so we said, hey, boys. And, and Chad in the upper bunk looked down at Dustin and looked at Dustin and started laughing because he just couldn't believe what he saw, not realizing that he himself had been marked. At the same time, Dustin looked up and looked at Chad and saw him and thought, my goodness, look at you, not realizing that he himself had been marked until they both stood in front of a mirror. And then what really made them stop laughing was they realized it was permanent marker. <laughs> yeah. So when Jay comes and visits now, we all lock our doors. <laughs> to know God means to know how we're marked. So this week, as you read those five passages that you will read, you will come across Psalm 14. And Psalm 14 begins like this in the second verse. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race, and he looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. See, this makes us really uncomfortable because we have this tendency See, if, if, if I was here with Danielle and, and Kate and we got together and we said, you know, we're good people. We're just, so the standard for good is right here. And then we look at, at Chloe and Luke and say, oh, they're not as good as we are. So we set the standard and then we judge everybody according to the standard because we're good. And everybody else is just not that good. We have that tendency to do that. That's, how, that's why we gossip. We, we don't gossip because we feel really bad. We gossip because we want to feel better about ourselves. So we say, well, at least I don't do that. We're all guilty. So the psalmist, David says, now wait, wait, wait. Let, let's, let's get the one who already knows what is right and what is wrong. This one that is called Yahweh. This Lord is what he's called, the I am that I am, that I've always been existing, and therefore I've seen everything. And he says, this one is looking down and he's looking for the wise. The wise is the one, the one who understands who God is and who we are in comparison to God, and therefore say, I must walk with him on his path. And he said, I've looked for those who have stayed on the path, and every single one of you has veered off and become filthy. No one is good that evil has gotten a hold of us and permanently marked us, every single one of us, except my wife. No, even her. So when we come to this realization, we call this an epiphany. Epiphany is a sudden or a striking realization, a manifestation of something that, that we didn't want to uncover, but here it is. This is the truth. This is not right. One of the things that I've done for 35 years or so is that I've, I've taken scriptural principles and I've helped people walk through their marriages. And, and so I've, I, I've walked them through, I know the principles and, and we've got these things down and, 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 and so I, I can spot a good marriage, I can spot a bad marriage, I can tell you some, some things to do and, and I become the marriage whisperer. I'm, I'm good at this. Until... In the first decade of our marriage, Pam said to me one day, I don't know how much longer we can do this. I'm about ready to take the kids and leave you. Epiphany, not so good. Within the next decade, I can remember we had driven to an airport because I was doing a lot of stuff for God. I was doing God's stuff. I'm just, I'm just so holy, God's stuff. And just before I got out to go to... A, the airport and, and, and go do something for God. 
Pam said to me, I just want to let you know that I think you're doing an awful lot of things for other people and you're not working on our marriage at all and I think maybe you should start practicing what you preach. Epiphany. Not so good. David makes it pretty clear to us who wrote this psalm that the whole world is in a mess and we share that messiness, that brokenness, that sinfulness. All of us, all of us are marked. So what do we do? Well, God has a strategy, and it starts with his name. For the Lord looks down, Yahweh looks down. The I am, the always existent one, looks down and inherent within his name. That God's name speaks of his transcendence, his, his closeness to us. When he created, it came out of him. Nothing existed, did not come out of him. So, so when he stood there over this world that was void, that, that had no life in it, and he spoke, he was personally there. He didn't send a text message. He didn't send an email. He didn't do it by Skype. He was right there, and he said, let there be life, and there was. Personally involved. And there's this wonderful, wonderful moment when it says that he creates Adam and then he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, personally putting life in him, into this creation, into this cosmos. So understand that his name tells us simply this, that he has not left this cosmos, he has not left this place we are, but he is still breathing life into our mess. So the psalmist says this, have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord because they don't understand. They don't understand that this Lord is breathing life. They are in great terror for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. So in college, I worked with three other guys. We worked on a farm and, and we had this boss who was 65 years old and, and so one day, we went to the barn and he had backed the pickup truck into the barn so that it was blocking the doors halfway in, but the bed of the truck was inside the barn and our task was to move bales of hay onto the truck and then take them out. So there were four of us and we're, we're moving the hay and putting it in the, in the back of the, the pickup truck and, and one of the guys then reaches over to move a skid that, that had, the hay had been sitting on it and as he started to move the skid, a black and white tail stuck up and it wasn't a kitty cat. We all knew immediately somebody yelled skunk and we all took running for the exit except the truck was in the way. So now we're clamoring, trying to get out somehow and that 65-year-old guy came tearing through, knocked all of us college guys out of his way, hit the, the bed of that truck and then the top of the cab and over and slid down under the door and said, where are you guys? <laughs> he stampeded right through us to find this place of safety. We live in a culture that stampedes one another. That when we need to find safety, we will get people out of our way, whether it's economic safety or relational safety, physical safety, we will get those people who stand in our way, we will devour them so that we can get to the place of safety. We do that to each other. King David says, and so the Lord is looking for those who are wise, 
Those who don't feel that they have to devour others to find a place of safety, in fact, what they do is they put their safety in this one called Yahweh, who now becomes their refuge. That word refuge actually means a place where the vulnerable creatures can hide from attack or storm. That they will find their security and safety within this one who will cover them, and they don't have to devour others in the process. So now it comes to this, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Where in our lives is he not a refuge? Where is it that we figure we have to do it on our own? That we have to work this out ourselves, and if we have to, we'll push other people out of the way. Could it be financially that we cannot be generous with other people because we, we are afraid we're not going to have enough, so we hoard? And even in those moments when God says, I need for you to share what you have with this person who doesn't have much, we don't give it because we're afraid. So we let them be devoured by their own needs, and we keep ours close to us because we have not counted him as a refuge. Maybe in my dating life, I think if I don't hold my standards high, then she won't keep dating me, and so I need to have her, so I will lower my standards and, and then live this life that I know is wrong, But because I can't trust the fact that God could actually guide me and help me if I keep those standards where they need to be. What about my job? You know, if I go on these trips with the boss and then he wants to go party and I shouldn't be doing those, I shouldn't be in those places, but if I don't hang out with him and party with him, I'm on the very end of the list for promotion. So to get that promotion, I got to do that stuff. Just what about my friendships? If they know I live by God's law, will they want to hang out with me? Because I'll be such a strange person to them. In some ways, I think we've all been guilty of making bad choices because we can't trust him. And that's why the scripture says all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory, come short of really trusting him and letting him be our refuge. And all those bad people we see out there, we're in the same group. So the day comes that we get this epiphany that I have been oppressive, that I have been mean, I have been offensive to those God loves, and then I realized that I've just not been battling them because I haven't trusted him. I've been battling God himself. And that's why the king says now we're in terror because we have just offended God. We have come against God himself. What do you do when you come against God? I can, I can read to the Old Testament and see what happens when somebody comes up against God. It's not a good thing. Yeah, God is love, but God is also justice. So what we do is, is, is we try to hide our face. You ever play with a little child who thinks if, if the child puts his hands over his face, you can't see him? And so we do that. If I just don't think God is there, he won't bother me. Serious? You don't think he sees you? So we try to hide our face so that we don't think he's there, or we try to hide our lives so that maybe he won't see what we're doing. I could never figure out when I was a kid how my dad would find me at hide and seek because I would hide right under that open piano bench. How did he find me? We think God's not looking at our lives. Are you kidding? This one who watches every tear fall from your face, who counts every hair on your head, he doesn't, you don't think he sees you? I didn't create this, this, this phrase, but I think it's absolutely perfect. The only place to be safe from God is in God. And so what does she do? This one sinful woman she moves close to Jesus. 
Jesus is where the bad guys come. And then our appeal becomes much like King David's when he says this in that same psalm, Psalm 14, 7, who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? Say, so, okay, what's this a Zion thing? I don't understand that. I've heard songs, Zion, okay. There have been times that I've been over in third world countries, and when I'm with my, my host, that a lot of times they'll drive by the U.S. Embassy and they'll say, okay, this is the U.S. Embassy. If anything goes wrong, what do you mean anything goes wrong? Well, if anything goes wrong, we're going to make our way right here because that U.S. Embassy is the United States in that country. That is the United States. That's not borrowed property. That belongs to the United States. And you'll find your safety there. Zion is God's embassy on earth. It is, it is where he said, I will plant myself in where no matter how corrupt this world becomes and no matter how dangerous it is, that is my place, my embassy. And so the psalmist cries out, who will come out of that embassy and rescue me? Who is this? And somehow this woman understands that I'm next to the one who coming from the embassy to rescue me. And so now, no matter how corrupt my life is, he's the one that I'm going to count on to help me. And, and something's happening there because as she gets close to him, she begins to sob. She begins to understand there is this metamorphosis taking place just being next to him. And this bad woman is finding some good things happening to her at the same time that this good man, Simon, is finding bad things happening to him. For she wants to find peace and he wants to mark her. And so Jesus, knowing that, looks at Simon. He says, hey, I got a story for you. He says, oh, yeah, tell me. So there's these two guys that owe the same man money. One owes 500 pieces of silver. One owns, owes 50 pieces of silver. Neither one of them can pay. And so out of the generosity of his heart, both debts are forgiven. And then Jesus asks this question. Now, of those two who, who have been forgiven, who will love the most? Simon thinks for a moment, and he says, well, obviously the one who was forgiven much, given the most. And Jesus said, exactly, you judge wisely. And then Jesus looks at the bad woman, looks at Simon, and says this. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. To understand the love of Jesus, we need to understand our history. That the world is a mess and it's evil and we're part of that. And if we are foolish, we will believe that's not us. If we are wise, we will know that that is us, but this one Jesus has come to rescue us that he's wanting to move us through an emotional and volitional metamorphosis that we feel and we will something else, something new, something better.
And what is amazing about that is that while we're walking through that metamorphosis, he holds us. Even while we cry about letting go of those bad things, he still holds us. For Paul the Apostle, understanding that, said this, that when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still crying over what we were losing. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So earlier I said we've been marked permanently. But here's the good news. The blood of Jesus takes that which is permanent and erases it. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity. So anybody here standing behind Jesus and crying about your badness? Go ahead. Now's the moment to trust his forgiveness. Now's the time to kiss the Son of God. I just love this woman's boldness. She knew as she got closer there was something different about him, and although others would not even be touched by her, she moved in to kiss this one who would forgive her for her sins. And this morning, some of you are seated here, and you say, I've done so much wrong, there's no way that God would love me, and yet God's saying to you, come to my son, you can kiss him, and you can be there with him, and he will take you through a change of your feelings and your will. It's my promise. Kiss the Son of God and hear him say to you, as he did to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you understand how much Jesus loves you? So at this moment, you might be getting an epiphany. I'm not as good as I thought I was. I've got pieces in my life that, that I'm just, I'm not, I, I'm not finding God as a refuge and, 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 and I'm offending and I'm hurting and I'm offensive. And at this moment, you realize that you can move in close to Jesus and he said, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to cleanse you. To know how great his love is, look at what he does for us. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to issue an invitation, just as this woman was invited to come into to this place where Jesus was, was, was reclining, and she realized it was more than just food. It was a chance to have her life radically changed forever. This morning, for some of you in this place, I so firmly believe that now is your moment, that God has issued an invitation for you. You who came in for the scraps of life are going to find real life and find that God, through Jesus Christ, brings you forgiveness. And so in a moment, I'm going to have you stand. I'm going to turn, ask you to turn to each other because we're a community and we all have been bad people. It's us. And I still have stuff I'm dealing with, even this week. I said, oh, God, how could, you, how could you love me when I'm this way? But he does. And some of you need to have that washed out of your life. 
And so I'm gonna have you turn to each other in just a moment and just say, would you like to come to Jesus? And when they ask you that, say yes, because it's a step of faith, and then we're gonna pray a prayer that helps seal that in your life. We're not gonna single you out or embarrass you, but we wanna make sure that, that you take this next step now, as this, this girl did, as she came to unload all of her life that had been so rotten. You say, I don't want people to know that, that I've been rotten. Oh, please. We all know that anyhow. It's time for your epiphany. You say, I don't even know the people next to me, but this question is a great introduction. So whether you're on the main floor or in the balcony in the galleries, I invite you in just a moment to turn to the person next to you and just say, would you like to come to Jesus? And as they say yes, the person who asked you is going to walk with you right down here, and we're going to pray together a prayer of sealing what you have sensed this morning, this love. You're already beginning the metamorphosis process in your life. You're beginning to feel different. You're beginning to, to want something different, and that's God changing you. So in the reverence of this moment, would you just stand? And now would you just turn to the people next to you and just say, would you like to come to Jesus? And as they ask you, you come and just stand with me right here. Go ahead. You may have asked them before, ask them again. Would you like to come to Jesus? Come join me right here. See, because I believe there's, there's some of you here. That's great. I wait. You say, I wasn't sure anybody was going to come down, so I'll turn to the person next to you and say, change my mind, I want to go down there. Because I believe there's more of you. And this would be a great place for you to begin the change in your life. Well, the good news is this, that even today as you're driving over to Eaton Park, you can say, Jesus, I... I really want this to happen to me. It can. So we're going to pray a prayer, and I want you to seal this in your life as, as these friends right here are going to pray this prayer. And as you pray it, just seal it in your life, and, and, and these folks around here are going to pray it with you to be an encouragement, but it comes straight from the Scripture. So let's pray and repeat after me, Dear Jesus, I want my life to change. So I've come to you, and you promised if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me for my sins and cleanse me from all impurity. So I tell you I'm a sinner. And thank you for your forgiveness. You also promised that at this moment you would make me a child of God. So I declare I belong to you. Now change my life. Help me to fulfill a destiny you've created for me. I give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. So I'm going to ask you folks to just stay right here in just a moment as we dismiss these people out here. And then we have some friends that are going to give you some information to help guide you on this journey with Jesus. Anybody else who wants to know that information can come join us right down here. It'd be great. So this week, read through the essential Jesus. 
Understand how great his love is for you and be sure you share that with someone. Because remember, we're walking through this whole thing we call CPR and one of the first things you do is you connect with other people and show them and tell them how great God's love is. And so ask him to give you opportunity to do that this week and watch somebody's life change. Can you do that? All right. God bless you. Have a great week.